Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 273 with Corn Ferry's CEO, Gary Bernison. If you're not so familiar with Corn Ferry, well, I recommend getting familiar because they have so much good stuff. And this is personally meaningful for me because really Corn Fairy's work planted some seeds that grew into the fullness of this podcast. Intriguing. Well, we talk about it in the episode, so I won't repeat myself, but you'll learn the following. One, which skills predict success and which are 200 times harder than others to develop? Two, New rules of thumb on timelines that can suggest job hopping versus getting stale. And three, why happiness is central to your career strategy. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep273. Now here's Gary's story. Gary D. Bernison is the Chief Executive Officer of Corn Ferry, the preeminent global people and organizational advisory firm. Corn Ferry helps leaders, organizations, and societies succeed by releasing the full power and potential of people. Its nearly 7,000 colleagues deliver services through Corn Ferry and its Hay Group and Future Step divisions. Mr. Bernison is also a member of the firm's board of directors. So big thanks to Gary for taking some time to chat, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Gary. Gary, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Hey, great to be with you. Well, I'd love to start if we could hear a little bit about you and surfing. I understand you use it as a metaphor for many things. Are you also an active surfer in the literal sense? In the literal sense, for sure, dude. (laughs) I was, you know, look, I was raised in uh, Kansas, a long way from uh, where you can actually surf. But in Los Angeles, it is, yeah, you, you can surf. And it's kind of my philosophy on life that people get a certain number of waves, so maybe some big, some small. And the whole trick is figuring out, you know, which ones you ride, how long you stay on, when you bail. And then I think kind of life and careers are much like that. I hear you. Yeah. And so just to orient uh, listeners here, I've been a fan of Corn Ferry for a good while. And, and fun fact, the, the birth of the How to Be Awesome Your Job podcast came from me just shamelessly looking at the bibliography of the book for your improvements and uh, cold outreaching to uh, hundreds of, of those authors. And then some said yes. And now, well, they say yes more easily and they come to me, which is, which is a cool situation. So, so thank you for the, the great work you do in the organization. But could you orient those unfamiliar? Uh, what's your company all about? Uh, we're a, a global organizational consulting firm. So we really, our purpose is to help organizations and people exceed their potential. We're a couple billion dollars in revenue. We're in we're all over the world. We've got eight thousand employees and and the sole purpose of the company is to, you know, improve other companies through their people, through their organizational strategies, how they develop people, how they motivate people, how they pay people. That's what we're about. Very good. And so I, I want to talk most of the time about your book lose the resume, land the job. Uh, But first, I've got a couple tricky ones. I want to make sure we we got a moment to hit right up front. And and one of them is is something I've been wrestling with and others in the sort of learning and development industry. You know, I've got uh, the the Corn Ferry book for your improvement open. 
There's an appendix called a developmental difficulty matrix, which is a cool graphical representation you know, that shows a number of competencies uh, ranked from hardest to develop to easiest to develop. And so I was, I had a buddy of mine in the learning and development industry get into a little bit of a scuffle, you know, with someone who, who said, well, well, hey, wait a minute, that, that sounds a little bit like a fixed mindset. You know, that's blasphemous, you know, to say that um, some competencies are, are super hard to develop and thusly, you should just hire for them up front. So how do you square that, the notions of, you know, you want to be a learner, which is awesome and, and a growth mindset is helpful. Versus your your hard research that shows, hey, some competencies are harder to develop than others. Look, it's nature versus nurture, right? So, you know, it's an age-old question. Were you born to be a great baseball player or, you know, did you do the right kinds of things to uh, coaching along the way? It's, it's one of those things that it's kind of like, does God exist? It, you know, to find the ultimate answer is very, very hard. We have a ton of research behind it. But I will tell you that just my practical experience, I'm CEO of a public company. I've been the CEO for 11 years. Corn Ferry has done decades of research on this. It is absolutely true that some skills are much harder to develop than others. And what I would tell you is that in my simple world, there's a left brain and there's a right brain. And the left brain for purpose of our conversation, is very analytical. It's very kind of black and white. The right brain is a whole different world. And as you move up in organization, number one, I would say the number one predictor of success that Corn Ferry has studied in CEOs all over the world is learning agility. But as you move up, you have to make that transition from your left brain to your right brain, and it is not easy. Okay. so. Well, a couple of things. What precisely do you mean by learning agility? Knowing what to do when you don't know what to do. And so the more situations that you're in where you have failed, the better are your chances for success in the future. And so what happens is, as a CEO, as a leader, it doesn't have to be a CEO, but you're always going to be in situations that you've never been in before. And that could range the whole gamut of, of possibilities from being personally sued to dealing with you know the things that you read about in the papers today around a workplace environment all of those things that you've probably never experienced and guess what as the leader you can't say i don't know and so you have to inspire confidence to the organization about where it's headed and and how it's going to punch through that opening in the sky when it's a very very cloudy day so so the right brain is really all around how you connect with others, how you inspire others, how do you get people to wake up without the alarm clock. That is something that has to be learned over time. And so what I, you know, as we've studied people and you you've referenced the the research that we've done, when you start out and it could be out of high school or out of college, you're basically a follower. And what you're going to be doing is going to, it's going to be very repetitive and it's going to be very action oriented. You're going to be making rapid, quick, repetitive decisions. But as you progress, and this is the question you were asking, as you progress, that becomes 
totally reversed. And act and, and so you do not, as a CEO or a leader, you don't want to make rapid decisions. You want to be reflective. You want to be a complex thinker. You want to have plan C for plan B for plan A, almost the polar opposite of somebody starting out in the workforce. Yeah, I've got a, a Marshall Goldsmith a book title, Leap Into Mind Here, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. So that's helpful to lay that out. And so when we talk about some competencies being harder to develop than others, is it like they're twice as difficult to develop or is it like 200 times as difficult to develop? Oh, like 200. Like, like 200. Yeah, yeah. So it is very, very easy to motivate yourself. I shouldn't say it's very, very easy. It's not easy for everybody, but it's relatively easier to motivate yourself. Now, if you have to do that to five other people, if you've got to do that to 50 other people, if you've got to do that to 5,000 other people, becomes much, much harder. Take a simple task like, let's say, you know, you've got uh, five friends over and, and you're going to go to dinner. And one likes Mexican food, one loves Chinese food, Indian food. You've got a whole range of gamuts. And you have, as the leader, you've got people that have different motivations, they have different self-interests, and they've got different tastes in where they want to go to dinner. And so what you've got to do is anchor that discussion on where you're going to dinner in a common purpose and get everybody to agree that we're going to go have the happy meal at McDonald's. That is not an easy thing just with five people figuring out where they're going to go to dinner. But if you if you then expand that range of thinking and possibilities to 50 people, 500 people around strategies to enable a company to succeed or an organization to succeed, just think about how how much harder that actually is. Oh, certainly. So, so the feat is certainly way, way more challenging. And I guess I'm wondering, when, from like a, a competency development perspective, are you saying that uh, some competencies, such as managing conflict that are in the, the hardest area, as compared to being tech-savvy or action-oriented on the, on the easiest area, mm-hmm. those are 200 times as hard to develop, the, the harder oh, ones? For sure. Oh, for sure. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, All right. And it's something that, again, a textbook can help, but there's no substitute for... I can remember the first time my dad pushed me on the bicycle. And so I, I remember the exact moment as clear as day. And that feeling, it, there's nothing like it in the world. Right. And so what at Corn Ferry, what we found again through research is when it comes to development, we believe in 70, 20, 10. In other words, 10%, only 10% of your development once you leave college is actually going to come from the classroom. But 90% is going to be on your assignment or assignments and who you're working with and who you're working for. Yeah. Well, and I want to go there next. So we, we recently had a guest, uh, Carter Cast from Kellogg Business School, and he was a lot of fun, had some great thoughts about career derailers. And, and he cited a Corn Ferry study in which managers sort of ranked their own you know, level of skill at, at competencies. And they had ranked dead last the, the competency of developing talent or, or developing direct reports and others. So I thought that was pretty striking. And I'm wondering, you know, hey, in a world where 90% of learning is 
kind of happening, you know, right there on the spot, on the job with interactions with, you know, boss and others. How do you become, as you say, a, a learn it all effectively in that undesirable context? You know, I think the other thing is, you know, you want to mirror it all. So it is true that most people in all the research we've done would not describe themselves as high in terms of developing others. And and I think that's the responsibility of any great manager or leader. It's much like raising raising your kids. And, you know, I think it's so much easier to mirror the behavior that you want to see in others rather than telling people what to do. And so I, I think that developing others is a little bit like networking. You know, net- networking, which we talk about in the book, is really about the other person. It really starts with the other person. And I think that the concept of developing others is not a tell me type situation. It's a show me type environment. Okay. And so then if you're on the the more junior side of things, I suppose it's great advice for those who, who are doing the the mentoring and trying to to grow and develop those they're leading. I guess I'm wondering if you are the the leadee, uh, the the follower in this relationship and you've got uh, a boss who's fits right in there in terms of being on the lower side of being able to develop the direct reports and others. What are you think some of your, your best options and, and career moves to, to keep that learning going? I think in this, look, the, the, you know, the world is changing. And so, so millennials today are probably going to work for 30, 35 companies. I'm a baby boomer. I will have worked for five. So the reality of today's world is it's not hierarchical anymore. It's very lateral. And you will be making many, many job moves. When I was younger, that was a big negative. You were called a job hopper. Now, actually, we look at resumes and we say, we actually have the opposite view. If you've been at one company for a long time, the question is, are you stale? Can you adapt to new cultures? So it's going to be very common for people to work for different companies. I would also say that a truth is that people leave bosses, they don't necessarily leave companies. And one of the mistakes, even in millennials and people that are going to have many more career experiences and employers, is that they automatically jump for the wrong reason. And they think the grass is greener. Maybe they hate their boss. The truth is you can actually learn more from bad bosses than you can from great bosses. And we can all think about our mom or dad or aunt or uncle or elders in our life. And it was, how many times have we said to ourselves when we were a kid, I'm never going to do that to my kid. I'm never going. And so that very, very basic kind of instinct in human nature is the same one that actually applies in work. And so I, I do, I believe you can actually learn from a bad boss. I'm not saying you shouldn't take control, but I would first say embrace it and learn from it. Okay, that's helpful. And I want to follow up quickly on the, the point about job hopping. And now it's sort of the opposite. So you have a unique vantage point, And I'd love to get your view for what is the, the amount of time? I guess it varies a lot. But in terms of you know, how many years you think, oh, that's kind of short and concerning versus how many years you say, oh, that's kind of long and it's concerning. 
Yeah, look, you know, I'm going to go back to happiness, and we can talk more about this as we get into it, but I think it's got to be paced by your happiness. However, when you put a clinical view of it, perception over reality view of it, today, if I look at a resume and the person there is there a year, less than a year, maybe slightly over a year, I'm going to raise questions. If they've been there kind of two years, uh, two years plus, I'm cool. And, and so that's kind of, you know, I think a pretty good rule of thumb today. In today's world, it's very lateral, not, not ladder, you know, not very mm-hmm. hierarchical. And on the, on the flip side, you mentioned, hey, if they're there too long, you wonder, are, are, they, are they stale? Can, are they not as adaptable? Yeah, isn't that amazing? It's so amazing how that switched in my career. Absolutely true. And so when I start to look at it and I'm kind of like 10, you know, 15 years kind of plus, those questions are coming into my mind. 10 years, I'm not like, I'm okay. But kind of when it gets into the 15, I start to wonder, can they adapt to a new culture? And that's 15 years at the same company. Job. even if- Same company. They're not the same position, right? Okay, right. But, the same, but the same company. Well, then I think that maybe there's another point. Like, hey, if you're in the same position... Well, I come from strategy consulting, being a company where it's up or out, but I guess in, in quote unquote normal. Uh, well, in see, the that's the other thing that see that's the other thing that people don't necessarily recognize is that. So when I look at a resume, I'm going to spend literally. I bet I spend 20 seconds, and what I look at there's a couple things. I look at career progression, and I think most people, whether it's overt or covert, that's what they're looking for. So. In other words, they want to see that from the time of college to the most recent, that you're actually progressing in terms of scale, scope, and size, what I would call the three S's. And it very much is an S curve. So we're, we're going to want to see that you've taken on more scale, bigger teams, more complexity, and that you've, in other words, you're being promoted. So it could be like the same company. But if you're in the same position for that whole time at that company, that's probably going to be viewed as a negative. Right. Yeah. So and you say that amount of time, you're like 10 years? Yeah. 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 I mean, if you're kind of in the same position, you're because again, we're going to come back to say the number one predictor of success that Corn Ferry would say is learning agility. And so this, this, it's just curiosity, right? Curiosity in terms of music in terms of what you read, but the whole deal. And we've actually proved, we actually test for that. And then if you believe that you're learning through others and you're learning on the job, well, if you're doing the same thing, you're just exercising the same muscle. So it's a little bit like going down to the gym. Well, if you keep doing, you know, pull-ups, you know, and that's all you do, well, one part of your body is going to be disproportionate to the other part. So in terms of a more holistic exercise routine, you're going to want to exercise many more muscles than just your arms. It's the same thing in a job, in a career. Okay. Understood. Thank you. Well, so now let's talk about the book here. It's called Lose the Resume, Land the Job. What's the big idea behind it? The big idea is most people are clueless, that most people do more research in terms of buying a washing machine than actually thinking about their career and their next job. And it's blown me away from college students to Fortune 100 board members. And and there's this kind of view 
that, okay, I'm like miserable, right? I can't wait for jury duty. I just can't go into this place anymore. My boss is a jerk. I'm not going anywhere. He or she's promised a performance review six times over the last six months. I finally got one last week and it was five minutes. We've all, all been there. The problem is all of us, what we do, the first thing is we get out a piece of paper or we get out a computer and we start updating this little thing called a resume. And what happens is we get, we sit there, we start to agonize over verbs or adjectives. We think we're Hemingway. The fonts, the font, Gary. (laughs) The font, the size, the space, and three hours go by. You're so frustrated that you just go back to that miserable boss again. Or you complete the exercise and you blindly send resumes. And, and my view is if that's what you're doing, you just as well go down to 7-Eleven and buy a lottery ticket because your chances of getting hired cold through that resume are just as good as playing the lotto. All right. Understood. Okay. Well, and I want to dig into that, the sort of thoughtlessness piece. You mentioned the... Uh, I, love, I love it as well well stated, the unspoken truths there when it comes to the the amount of time spent researching a a washing machine or a TV. I love numbers. I couldn't help it. I had to look it up. There was an Ipsos survey put uh, research of a TV purchase at at four hours. And and I don't know if if you were sort of being cheeky or or data-driven with that uh, assertion, but I'm wondering, you know, have you done some research or studies in terms of how much, you know, time, energy, thought, attention uh, folks... uh, on quote unquote average are, are putting into their, their career planning and path and, and next move? Very little. I mean, there's a, again, I, I, people, I just see it. I can't tell you how many thousands of resumes I've received. And I hate to guess where those go. Nowhere. The recycling bin. Yeah, right. they do. <laughs> they do. And that's just the unvarnished truth. And I'm not, I'm not speaking just for myself. I can tell you that's what happens. And so there's this naive view on the part of, of everybody that I can just kind of blindly send out this resume and it's going to work, or I'm going to like be plucked out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like I'm this fam- fabulous fish and I'm going to get discovered. It just doesn't happen. It's not reality. And so my view is like you would do with other things in your life, take control. All right. And, and you, one way you recommend taking that control is you have a handy acronym you, to showcase your act. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Yes, absolutely. And that's really in the context of doing, meeting a company, doing an interview. Before that, if you wanted to be, if you want to take control of your career, I think you, you have to first start with purpose and you have to first start with happiness because if you're happy, you're probably motivated if you're motivated, you're probably going to outperform and you're going to love what you're doing. Now, so, so I would actually, I, I think the first step, rather than updating the resume, which everybody goes to, that's the first thing people do. I would say, don't do that. I would say, actually look at yourself in terms of strengths, weaknesses, blind spots. You know, what does that tell you about yourself? What is your life's purpose? What do you like doing? And from that, I would sit there and say, okay, what industries, sectors, uh, then companies 
actually kind of line up against that purpose and what I love doing. And that then, and that includes, by the way, cities where I want to live. And then what you want to do is you want to do the whole six degrees of separation thing. You absolutely want to update the resume. And in the book, we've got ways to do it the right way, but you want to get that warm introduction. So, so my view is don't just look and see if there's an opening at a job, actually take control and proactively target the places you want to work and get a warm introduction into those companies. All right. Very good. And so then, and how's that done well in terms of really making that work for you? The whole effort around networking does require work. I mean, this is not, you you have to roll up your sleeves. You, You have to actually research, okay, who really works at this company? Where did they go to school? What are their backgrounds? What are they involved in the community? You have to do it the good old fashioned way offline as well. You've got to ask somebody who maybe knows somebody who knows somebody who works at the company. I will tell you that if you just do a random sample and ask people how they got their job, I think what you're going to find five times out of 10 is that one way or another, they knew somebody at the company. That, mm-hmm. that they somehow, some way got turned on to it. And so I go back to when we were kids, what happened? Well, we, there was the ice cream shop, there was the grocery store, there was the bike shop, but you went down to that store and you filled out an application. Well, what actually happened before that? Well, probably somebody had told you that that's a really cool place to work or you shop there. But the point is, you proactively targeted where you wanted to work. And what happens then over a span of 10, 20, 50 years later, we forget that. And that most basic principle of taking control and targeting opportunities, you just forget. And you automatically go to the resume And the resume, trust me, is only 10% of it. People think it's 90%. It's actually only 10%. Okay. So so you're doing the networking and then the the principles here are you're thinking clearly about, you know, knowing yourself and your your interests, your values, your passions, your strengths, your weakness, and and, and all that stuff. And then you're doing your research on, on folks. And then, and then any other, you know, key tips to, to share, to round out the, the networking perspective and, and being, you know, focused on the other person, etc. You had talked about, so I do have tips in terms of the resume and how you should do a resume. There's tips and you asked the question about ACT or ACT. That's in the context of interviewing. So when I think about interviewing, I do think of ACT. And even in the, even in the resume preparation, you know, A for being authentic, C for connecting, and three, for giving somebody a taste of who you are. And here's the deal, is that we each, we make judgments, whether you like it or not, on another human being within the first seven seconds mm-hmm. of meeting that person. So if you assume for a moment that it's true, that that happens, and you may not believe it's seven seconds, you may believe it's two seconds, you may believe it's two minutes. But the reality is it's sooner rather than later. And we all have preconceived, our brain works in in very mysterious ways. 
So what that means is you're going to have to do your homework ahead of time. And you're going to have to find those immediate connection points. Because most people think of an interview like it's this, like I'm going to go have a root canal. It's this kind of, you know, this cross between the root canal and Disneyland. And it's a terrifying experience. And, and I think that part of the book is to kind of change people's thinking around, quote, the interview. And don't treat it like an interrogation or you're having your tooth pulled, but rather make it a conversation. Okay. And so then digging into that a little bit, you lay out some deadly sins of interviewing. Could you share perhaps some of the, the deadliest and, and the most commonly occurring? Oh, man, you know, I've seen it all. Listen, don't confuse community service and prison. So in other words, I've actually had that. I I, I once, I interviewed somebody. I'll tell you two sides. I interviewed somebody and there was this freeways, you know, friends of the freeway. And I started to probe a little bit and it turned out, well, it really wasn't, you know, friends of the freeway. It was actually prison time. Mm. And the other side of that is somebody who was completely honest and they had actually been convicted of manslaughter. A very, very sad story. But the person was dead honest and abusive relationship, the whole thing. The person got hired. And so, you know, this, this, these deadly sins of interviewing, number one, never lie. Don't exaggerate. Don't claim success for all of humanity that it rested on your shoulders. <laughs> so that's number one. Don't lie. Don't inflate. Don't exaggerate. Number two, don't be late. Like be on time. Number three, uh, don't dress like you're going on Dancing with the Stars. And, you know, you, it, so in other words, you've got to do your homework, which is kind of like another sin of interviewing, you have to do your homework ahead of time. So those are a few kind of thought starters. Yeah, well, that's good. Got a real kick out of in the book, you, you mentioned don't eat <laughs> during your interview. And uh, like, you know, don't, don't shout out on lunch, even if it is your, your lunch hour, and you have to get right back to, to your other job afterwards. And it just made me chuckle because... Well, you know, look, you gotta be, you gotta, I mean, I've seen it all. I mean, I got to tell you, you know, and, and we've seen it all. We've seen people interviewing Pepsi and asking for a Coke. We've seen oh, people wow. interviewing at a fast food place and the candidate actually asked the question, do you really eat this crap? And, oh. and so, you know, but I think the biggest thing is just not being prepared, not doing your homework. You know, you've got to actually know what you're going to wear. Go there ahead of time. Know what the commute's like. Google the person. Go on LinkedIn. Make sure you, you know, you're, you're dressed appropriately for, for the gig, you know, for the culture. You know, that you bring your resume, that you bring a notepad, but don't bring your mom. And I'm telling you, we've also seen people bringing their mom. Not a good idea. Well, yeah, well, that... That opens up so many new topics <laughs> for another podcast. <laughs> the, the, the sort of the mindset and that that could lead to that sort of sense that that was acceptable is intriguing. But will you tell me, Gary, before we shift gears and hear about a few of your favorite things 
Any other key points you really want to make sure to, to share with this group first? You know, take control. I just, I just hate to see people, you know, that they actually don't plan their careers, that it's more kind of by happenstance. And I think it's becoming more common for people to have worked for different employers. Job hopping is not a stigma anymore. That's actually how you learn. You learn through what, you know, who you're working for. And people ignore that. You know, people focus on the money, which I get. Look, I was the first one to go to college. I've been there. I know what it's like. You know, I, I've been there. Trust me. But what people ignore is their boss. They, they ignore the fact of who they're going to work for. The boss is actually going to have a gigantic determinant of your happiness and success. Culture. You know, people, they'll focus on the title and the money and the ring, but they won't focus on the culture. Well, the truth is most people won't fail or succeed based on whether they were technically competent. They're going to fail or succeed because there wasn't that culture fit. And people totally ignore that. And so like in, you know, in my house, I mean, a company is no different than a house or a family People coming into my house don't have to take off their shoes. That's kind of customary. Mm -hmm. Well, in another person's house, maybe they need to, maybe they do need to take off their shoes. Well, that person's not right or wrong, and I'm not right or wrong. But the reality is, each company has a very, very unique culture. And you have to spend as much time thinking about whether that culture is going to invigorate you and keep you motivated. And most people don't. Eat, they just don't focus on culture. They focus on money. Well, I'd love to get your quick take, maybe. Could you drop for us three rapid-fire, hard-hitting cultural mismatches you see that are destructive? Like, hey, the candidate loves this, but the company is that, and sadness ensues. I see all the time. They're, they're, companies have these great job descriptions. They're like, they're so long, and they seem so strategic and so lofty. And yet, when you ask, okay, but what am I really going to do on Monday? There's this huge gap between what the job description says versus what you're actually going to do. So make okay. sure you actually know like what you're going to do. It may sound stupid, but what do you want me to accomplish in the first month? What do you want me to accomplish in the first six months? That, that's number one. Number two is, is around culture. I think one of the easiest ways to tell that is how people dress. So what's that like? And are people's offices, if it's offices, is it open door, closed door? Do families get together? Do they not get together? Are there virtual employees? So they're not virtual. Do you have to go in the office? The, you know, dress and kind of everyday stuff reveals a multitude around culture. Well, that's intriguing. And so could you, could you share, hey, if you see this, it tends to mean that, the kinds of uh, quick rules of thumb there. If you walk into an office and it seems like, and I've, I've gone into places, trust me, and it seemed like it, I thought I was at a mortuary. Mm. I mean, now that may be great for some people. I'm not saying that that's not great. I mean, some people may love hardwood, dark wood panel, shag carpet, drop a needle, everybody hears it. That could be great. It's not me. So you just have to make sure that what you know, what's you. 
and I can't tell you what you, but those very, very basic things, man, like open your eyes. You know, I'll never forget like this company, the the, the people would put stop signs on their door that you couldn't come in. And that's not me. You know, I've been in companies where the, the office doors are closed all the time. That's not me, but it could be somebody else. So you just have to, you have to look at those like, you know, they seem pedestrian, they seem rudimentary, but I guarantee you, they are probably the most important. Okay, thank you. Well, now could you share with us a a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? What's on my mind these days is don't talk about it, be about it. And I, um, you know, that the world is in an interesting place and the left is further left and the right's further right. And there's obviously a lot of conversations from socioeconomic to, you know, the workplace environment. And for me personally right now, that's kind of my motto is that let's not just talk about it. Let's, let's be about it. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a piece of research? Well, I only talk about right now, probably Mao Zedong. I mean, the little red book. China, I've lived in China. It's a very mysterious place. And you think you know it and you know it. And in fact, you don't know anything. So that's actually kind of what I'm turned on by these days is that's kind of what I'm reading. And and kind of the, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to gather from that kind of, even though a very communist, you know, uh, and you might find it counterintuitive, but I'm, I'm trying to glean kind of humanity with the overall theme right now for me is really just don't talk about it, be about it. Okay. And how about uh, a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? I read, 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 you know? And so I, I, I wake up in the morning before anybody and I go to bed at night uh, doing the same thing. And it's not so much uh, novels, it's just kind of being in the world and current events. So I, I'd say that's probably it helps me because again, a big part of what I do is trying to connect with others. And we are in, you know, 60 different countries, many different cultures, 8,000 people. I think that to the extent that I am broader, I'm going to have a better chance of, of connecting with others. And as a leader, it's really not about the leader. It's about whether you can create followership, which is not easy to do. Okay. And is there a particular nugget that you share that you find is often quoted back to you or, or really seems to be connecting, resonating with folks, you know, retweeting yeah, well, or taking notes? Yeah. And it gets thrown back at me all the time because we're all, we're all human beings and we're all flawed. But I've always tried to have an orientation of, does somebody feel better after the conversation than before? And I fail at that all the time. I absolutely fail at that all the time. But I try to hold that out and I check myself against the glass. I think that's a pretty good yardstick for a leader that you want people to feel better no matter the situation after than before. All right. And Gary, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, LoseTheResume.com. We've got the book there. We've got a whole business at Corn Ferry around helping people with their careers, kfadvance.com, books on Amazon. So that's, that's where to find out. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Be indispensable to somebody else and find your purpose. All right. 
Well, Gary, thanks so much for, for taking this time. I know it is in, in high demand and for, for all the work you're doing leading Corn Ferry and, and the cool stuff that comes out of it. I've been a, a long-time admirer and this was a lot of fun for me. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great. I really love his turn of a phrase, be a learn it all, and I would. Learning is what we do here. But I think it's a really great advice in terms of being proactive and humble and seeking that feedback and, and learning, 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 being agile with it because indeed learning agility is massively predictive for success. So I hope you enjoyed this chat with Gary. I think this one is worth a revisit and the show notes in particular. Check out those, those books, Gary's book, Lose the Resume, Land the Job as well as Corn Fairy's works for your improvement. Very handy resources. And that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep273. And if you have not already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest. It is Chris Edmonds making a repeat appearance on the show. This time we're talking about civility. Until next time, peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.